0: Amen. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Weekend. You know, sometimes we like to, um, at New Hope, take those words that we throw around so uh, so often and be sure that we understand what we're saying. Happy Easter is our way of just kind of saying that, uh, that idea, but sometimes we forget about it. It's because Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? We just got through singing about that, and that changes everything. And it's so great to be able to join together this weekend and to celebrate that together with you, whether you're a first-time guest, first time you've ever been here before, or whether you've been here for 23 years. We're just glad that the Lord brought you here, whether you're in person or whether many people are following along with us online. It's such a privilege to come before God. We're going to open up His Word today because if this is your first time here at New Hope, that's what we do. We don't really have anything else to give except for God's Word, but thank the Lord there's a lot in there. Amen. And so we're going to open up God's Word and study it together this weekend. and Think about the difference that Easter makes. Easter changes everything, doesn't it? It really does. You know, it's true, isn't it, that sometimes something happens that is so significant that it changes everything for you. Isn't that true? There's people in this room right now who recently went to the doctor just to get some things checked out. And the next thing you knew, you've got a major physical issue that you're going to have to deal with. A surgery operation, a procedure of some kind, or maybe even something that you didn't realize. Maybe even something that even threatened your life. Maybe you went to work this week. And you just went just like any other week. It's just a, you no, know, I get up every Monday, I go to work, and I do my thing, and I, I try to make it to Friday, amen? I try to make it to the weekend, but, but you found out surprisingly to you that you're losing your job. There are things that happen that change everything. For someone else, one day you were just a parent taking your kids to soccer. And you accidentally found some drugs in the room now we've changed gears, haven't we? Now we're not parents taking our kids to sports events. Now we've got a major issue that we've got to help save our child from. It was just over three years ago that I was at a Christian concert in Albany with about three or 4,000 people. And we were worshiping the Lord. We were having a, a great time. And within two days, the world was shut down. Fifteen days to flatten the curve. Next thing you knew, it was two years of mass, no church, and no prom, and no weddings, and job, and business loss, and school disruption, and sickness, and even, for many people, a loss of life. What a difference a day can make, amen? It's true that sometimes there are things that happen in our lives that truly change everything. Everything. And that's really the reason that we're gathered together here this weekend. Something happened. Listen to this. Something happened 2,000 years ago. Something happened that truly changed everything. It changed history. It changed the world. It changed lives. Billions of people's lives. And this story, this event, still has the power... To change our life sitting here right now today. Isn't that amazing? We're talking about Easter and the Bible tells us that Easter changes everything. This day, this weekend that we are celebrating with all the fun and with all the family and with all the emphasis on faith. This this weekend, it makes all the difference in the world. And there are really three important parts of this Easter story that I want us to think about together today in God's Word. And the first one is this, the cross. The cross is a big part of the story of Easter. The cross of Jesus Christ, write that down, the cross changes everything. When you think about Easter, when you think about Easter weekend, what is sometimes called the Passion Week. We can't think about this thing. We can't think about this holiday. Listen, this holiday, this holy day, this special day that's been set apart, this weekend that's been set apart, we cannot think about that celebration without thinking about the cross. In fact, the very word passion, Passion Week, you may or may not know this, but it comes from the Latin that means suffering. When we say the Passion Week... We're really talking about suffering week. We're talking about the fact that God came into this world and experienced great suffering during this period that we're thinking about together this weekend. There's so much about Easter that's awesome, that's wonderful, that's celebratory, that's even fun, that's good, that's a blessing. Even the cross day, we now call what? Good Friday. We can now look back and see those things as good things. But there were some very, very tragic parts to what we are celebrating this weekend 2,000 years ago. Let's read some of the account of what happened that weekend. Luke or Matthew chapter 27, verses 26 to 31. It says, But after having Jesus scourged, he, Pilate, the Roman governor, handed him Jesus over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. Every time you read that phrase, for the rest of your life now, you need to see a locker room full of bullies. 480 men. That was a Roman cohort. A large group of rough, And tough warriors. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spied on him and they took the reed, the stick, and began to beat him on the head. Can you imagine? God came into this world for us, and we are literally taking a tree, a plant that God created, and hitting God on top of the head. After they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off of him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. The Easter story changes everything. And a big part of that story is the cross. The cross literally changes everything. Now, before we talk about what we just read in God's Word, the Bible, I want to share with you an article from the Journal of the American Medical Association tells us that the historical fact of Jesus' crucifixion is attested by the Roman historians Tacitus, Pliny the Younger, Suetonius, as well as the non-Roman historians Thallus and Phlegon, the Jewish Talmud, and the, and the famous Jewish historian Josephus. All of those outside, Christian, outside of Christian world sources in the world attest to the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross. But I do want to say that the biblical accounts should not be understated. We're talking about a book... That is the most read book in all of human history, the most widely circulated, the most widely studied and critiqued book of all time, which has never been proven wrong. That book affirms over and over again that Jesus did, in fact, die on a cross, and he did it for our sins. It's called crucifixion. It meant giving people the death penalty by nailing them to a wooden cross. It was started by the Assyrians, but the Romans decided to do their best to perfect it as a form of execution, and really more than execution, as a form of torture. They reserved it for the worst of their criminals, mostly murderers or traitors to the Roman government. And a person that was Crucified was first tied to a wooden post, usually naked, usually stripped of their clothes. And you read you heard it when I was reading. It just goes by it quickly in the scripture. It says, after having him scourged, scourging meant that he was tied to a post, and two Roman soldiers took a leather, a, a, a whip of leather strands with metal, bits of iron and bones in that metal, and they came across his back from the left and the right, at least. 39 times. One resource says that a detailed word study of the ancient Greek text in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, which talks about Jesus' death on the cross and the beating that he took, that, that that wording indicates that the scourging of Jesus was particularly harsh. After his beating, the Roman soldiers put a robe and a crown of thorns on him, mocking him. And ripping open, ripping open his wounds again. The purpose of scourging was to beat you within an inch of your death. It was not to kill you. The purpose of scourging was to absolutely torture someone, but not quite kill them. And then from there, Jesus would have had to take at least the crossbar, if not the whole cross, and carry that to the crucifixion site. Probably naked, if not partially clothed, hanging out in the hot sun, weighing down his body on the nails, in his hands and on his feet. A person would either have to choose, I'm either going to feel like I'm smothering and eventually smother. Or they would have to decide to press their body for leverage against those nails to just give themselves some relief to take a breath it could take hours it often took days for a person to die like that and all of that was happening after he was beaten by those bully soldiers and had to walk several miles back and forth between his trials while he was being mocked, while he was being spat on by the people who were watching him die on the cross, lifted above the earth. Listen, crucifixion, the idea of crucifixion was you are not worthy to stand on the ground. The ground that he created. We said he was not worthy for his feet to touch our earth. And it actually started the night before. With him anticipating, Jesus knew exactly what was happening. He knew that he was going to go to the cross for us. And as he was going through the mental, the emotional, the spiritual anguish, it was so much that he actually suffered a medical condition called hematidrosis, which basically means he was sweating blood. A person under extreme stress stress can hemorrhage their blood into their sweat glands and literally sweat blood. And apparently that condition makes someone's skin super sensitive. So you can imagine, as he was going through that, taking a beating with his skin being even more heightened and sensitive. And then he would spend the night being falsely accused in trials by his own people, by the Roman government, blindfolded, spat on, beaten, condemned as guilty and worthy of death. And then he began the cross experience that we just described. But friends, listen, it's good for us to know that. As bad as it is, as hard as it is for us to hear that, it's good for us to know that. But that, for Jesus, was not the worst part of the cross. There were other people who died of execution. There were other people who physically died on the cross and that's not to take away from it but the fact of the matter is the Bible actually doesn't really bring out the physical part of it quite as much in fact if you if you listen when I was reading those verses the Bible says that they after having him scourged it's just a phrase after having him scourged and then later it says they led him away to crucify everything that I just described and more the Bible just kind of in a sense just kind of goes over kind of quickly Because the focus in the Bible was not that Jesus died that terrible, torturous, physical death. The focus in God's Word, and here's what's so important for us, is that in one blow, in just a few hours, one Friday, one man took upon himself the punishment for all of us. It's absolutely astounding, isn't it? He took the eternal consequences for my sin. That before Christ, and even so on some of my roughest days, I can hardly bear still, amen? I can't carry mine. And God, Jesus, felt all of that for all of eternity, all at one time. A perfect man, an innocent person who had never done wrong had to pay for the sin of the rest. Listen to what the Bible says about what Jesus did for us. Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Listen, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Isn't that good news? Not just the lifesavers you stole when you were nine years old. Not just the little white lie you thought you told your parents. All the small stuff, all the in-between stuff, all the really big stuff. Having paid, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debts consisting of decrees against us. And there are decrees against us, aren't there? We are right. We have rightfully done wrong. We know that. He made a, it says, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Isn't that good news? There are some of us in this room who have been trying our whole lives to make up for things that we have done wrong. But friends, the Bible says that's a futile effort. You cannot do that. I cannot do that. Only God can do that. And now that he has, that changes everything. Amen? Amen? So what does that mean? What has the cross done for us? Write down these thoughts. The cross tells us that sin is serious. We just finished up our series in the book of Genesis. And we saw that the first couple of chapters of the Bible, it's good news. It's blessing. God loves us. If no one's ever told you before, it is my privilege and my pleasure to say to you, it is true. God loves you. He created you for good reasons. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life and He cares about you. And He's not trying to be hard on you. He wants to help you. And the whole plan started with that. But then when sin got introduced, we talked about how pervasive it is, how persistent it is. It just won't go away. Amen? We continue to struggle over and over again, often with the same things. And the cross reminds us that it's very serious. It destroys our lives and ultimately it separates us from this good God who created us and who wants to have a relationship with us. And it was necessary for someone, but listen, only one could do it. Amen. Only one could do it. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, the Lord looked and he saw that there was not a man. There was no one that could do it. So his own arm brought salvation. Isn't that amazing? Only one could do it. And thank God that one was willing to do it. He did do it for us. Friends, we need to feel that. If you have not ever had that applied to your life, you have to feel that, that weight of that sin. It is true. God doesn't want to crush you with that, but he wants you to understand there is a weight to that that he wants to relieve. But it is very much a weight on us, isn't it? That separates us from God. Sin is serious. But listen, the cross tells us that God cares about us. God saw that. He, he knows our needs. He's, he cares about that. He came to do something for us. Many of us have been taught, God doesn't care about us. God's not interested in us. We're not important to him. He's not paying attention to us. He's too busy for us. That is not true. That is not What the Bible teaches. That is a futile way to live. That I'm just by myself in this world. And friends, the the fact of the matter is, that is kind of where you get, isn't it? Because really people will eventually, no matter how much we love each other, we will eventually let each other down. And so then I say, well, I guess I just got to take care of me. But here's a problem. I'm just as sinful as the people who let me down. So I let me down. And eventually, no matter how strong we are, we are going to meet a challenge that we cannot overcome. And ultimately, that challenge was death. Ultimately, we needed someone to deal with our biggest problem. Isn't it great to know that the only one who could actually did? Amen? The cross tells us our sins have been paid for forever. I think y'all are just writing because I don't think you heard what I said. Our sins have been paid for forever. Amen. The only way I know to kind of feel this, what if somebody came to you, what if somebody came up to you in the foyer after the service and said, hey, I've been sort of watching your life. I know you're working hard. I know you're trying hard. I know maybe it's a single mom. You're raising kids. You're doing your best. Hey, I called the bank, they gave me permission, I found out how much, I paid off your mortgage. I couldn't breathe if somebody said that, amen? I couldn't breathe. First of all, I wouldn't believe it. No, No, you didn't. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. It would be absolutely, literally breathtaking if we really understand the reality of where we were with God. He didn't want us to be there. But if we really understand it, it's breathtaking. I was stuck. And God didn't just say, fine, stay there. God said, I will come do it for you. And I will pay for it for you forever. As tragic and as terrible as a cross is. Thank God. Jesus said a little bit further down the story, it is finished. Thank God. That was the final payment. That was the last thing that had to be done For your sins, yours and mine and everyone else who's ever put their trust in Him. He died. He made it available to all. But it's been applied to every person who's ever received that gift. If you have received that gift, rejoice today. It changes everything. I don't walk around bitter and resentful and scared and afraid and wondering and nervous. I mean, we all struggle with it. I don't mean that. But you know what I'm talking about. I can have confidence because there's a lot of questions I have. One thing I know, my sins have been settled on the cross. Amen. Finally, the cross tells us we don't have to clean up to come to God. Even as much as I've just shared, some of you are still in your mind. Oh, I know. I know Jesus did that, but I got to do my part. I got to clean up. I got to do better. I got to get stronger. I got to get my act together. And the Bible says God has done all the terrible and hard work. What a difference a day makes. It is Good Friday. Amen. Amen. We needed God to do that. And God did it. And he says, listen, if you will just come to me, the Bible calls it repentance, being sorry for what you've done. I don't like it, God. I don't want to be like this anymore. I mean, Anybody? I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want to be trying my own way and making messes. God, I'm sorry for what I've done. And so it's repentance and faith. And Lord, now I don't trust in myself anymore or anyone else. I trust in you and what you have done for me on that cross. We're celebrating Easter together this weekend. Easter changes everything. And one of the most important parts of the Easter celebration is the cross. God came as a man and died on the cross to pay for all of our sins. That changes everything. There's another critical part of this story. That actually, as much as what we just said was true, if the next part were not true, the cross would have been wasted. The Bible says that the resurrection changes everything for us. The cross means everything. My sins, I can't wipe. I've been trying to wipe my whole life. I've been trying to get better. I've been trying to turn over a new leaf. I've been trying a New Year's resolution. I've been trying to whatever, to to make it happen. I can't do it. Thank God I don't have to do that. God has paid for my sins. But the resurrection Absolutely is critical for a lot. Isn't it interesting that you don't actually hear, you hear a little bit, but you don't hear as much dispute about Jesus dying on the cross. But what your college professor or what the History Channel or an evolutionary scientist is going to dispute is something that the Gospels say happened and that had to happen for us. Let's start by reading Matthew 28. Verses one through seven. Now after the Sabbath, that would have been Saturday, for the Jewish people, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Can you imagine? We said it last night. We we kind of gave away it's kind of hard to have a good Friday service, because y'all know, right? Y'all know. Y'all know it's Friday, but what? Sunday's coming, right? We know. They didn't know that. They went to go look at the grave and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. For he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you shall see him. Behold, I've told you. I've always tried to put myself in their shoes and try to understand. What would it have been like? What would it have been like to see Jesus die on the cross? All your hopes, all your dreams, following him for those years. They, they left everything. They left all that they knew. They, they turned their life over to the Lord. They followed him for those years. They learned from him. They were taught by him. They experienced life together with him. All the promises, all the hope. They thought he was the one. They thought he was the Messiah, the Savior. And all of that died that Friday, as far as they can tell. We've talked about it before. We don't often talk about it. I heard someone this week call it Silent Saturday. Isn't that a good name? We talked about this a few weeks ago. I think it's important for us to acknowledge that because much of our life is kind of Saturday, isn't it? We thought it was all lost. But hey, hold up. God might have something else. Amen? Amen? And that's where they were. It was after Saturday. It was after the Sabbath. These ladies were going. I think the older I get, the more real it becomes to me. Because as you get older, you have more and more experiences of either, like them, losing someone that you love so much. I remember for much of my life, I hadn't even lost a grandparent. And as you get a little bit older, and as we started having kids, we started losing our grandparents and, and different ones throughout the family. But more and more, you see what they felt. They lost someone that they absolutely loved, but also like them, You have experiences of seeing something that you hoped for being taken away from you forever. I can only imagine. I can't imagine. Not exactly, but I can't imagine because I've suffered loss. Amen? I have a feeling about what Friday felt like. And what Saturday felt like and what that walk to that tomb must have been like for them. All the questions, all the hurt, all the doubt, maybe even some anger. And then these precious and faithful ladies. These ladies have always blown me away. And I tell you, every time I tell this story, every time I read this passage, I think about the ladies in our church. That's what they would have done. That's what they would have done. They'd have gone and taken care of the Lord's body properly. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that? precious. They were going to take care of the Lord, but then they find out he is not there. He had risen from the dead. What? These verses tell us that it happened, and I think we can kind of sense why that matters, but there's another passage that tells us so clearly why that's so important. First Corinthians 15 verse 14, it says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith also is in vain. If Jesus had just died to pay for them, but he had not risen victorious over them, he would have shown that he does not have power over sin and death and the grave. But he did. Amen? He is victorious. He did rise from the dead. If Christ has not been raised, we might as well go home. It's all a sad situation. And your trust... Is in vain. In parentheses, he says, Moreover, as far as I am, I'm even found to be a false witness of God, Paul says, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ say, that euphemism is often used of christians in the bible it's a softening of saying christians who've died then those who have died in the lord have died they perish they are spiritually dead they're separated from god forever as far as us if we have hoped in christ in this life only we are of all men most to be pitied another translation says we are of all men <laughs> Most miserable. It matters, doesn't it? What does the resurrection tell us? Resurrection tells us that Jesus has power over sin, death, and hell. Thank God. If you think about the message of the Bible and really the message of life, it's this is that we have this sin thing that's not this, this 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 leaning away from God. We don't know the ways of God, and when we do know them, we want to go against them. We have this problem, and the consequences of that brings physical and spiritual death to our lives. Those are our biggest problems. But the Bible says that Jesus is... I don't like past tense when talking about Jesus. He wasn't was... I know that's not proper English. Okay, you going with me, right? He wasn't was victorious... He is victorious. And I'm glad. Because I have people that I'm losing in my family and friends now. And I need to know that there's still hope beyond the grave. It's not goodbye, see you later. If we put our trust in Christ. Praise God, amen. Doesn't it change everything? This is an absolute game changer. It tells us that there is nothing that God cannot help us overcome. There is nothing. That's not to minimize your intense struggle. We've talked about 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul said, we felt like we were as good as dead. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. Even when we feel like we're almost dead. And even eventually, we will be dead one day. There is nothing that God cannot help us to overcome. There is nothing that you are going through in your life, in death, in life, now, or in eternity nothing if you are a child of God there is nothing that God will not not just cannot will not help you overcome that is unbelievable that is not to minimize your struggle that is just to contrast it with the amazing truth that somehow even though you don't see it God is going to help you he has promised it. it's not he can it is he will There is nothing that God cannot and will not help us overcome. He tells us that He can offer us life that lasts forever. Jesus has power. He has life that overcomes death and the grave. It is so real. Every time I do a funeral, it is so real. It it makes so much sense to me. This is when it matters. All the good words I can say mean nothing. This is when it matters. This is not the end of the story. If your loved one put their faith in Christ, there is nothing that can keep them down. He's given them life that lasts forever. And by the way, the Bible says, describes it as a quantity of life and a quality of life. Eternal life, life to the fullest. And did you know, that that life starts the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ? People are confused about these things. Oh, so we just sort of do our best. There's all kinds of, so we just sort of do our best. No, we don't do our best. We trust in Christ. Oh, so we wait till we get to heaven. We find No, we don't wait till we get to heaven. That's not a good plan for forever. Amen. That's not a good plan. I want to know. I've got reservations. The Bible says in John chapter 5, verse 24, listen to this. Truly, truly, Jesus said, that's actually, Jesus is saying, amen, amen. What does that mean? You can take this to the bank. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus said, he who hears my word, have you heard his word? He who hears my word, you got that one, and believes him who sent me, have you trusted in God? Have you heard the word of God? Have you trusted in God? If you have, you have eternal life right now. You have eternal life. You have life in you that will never end. So there's the quantity. But you also have life in you of a quality that only God can give. Isn't that awesome? 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. He who, has son, he who has the Son has... And actually, so in that translation, it brings out something. He who has the Son has what life? The life. A lot of translations just translate it the way we would say it. He who has the Son has life. That's the way we would say it. But isn't it interesting that the original language puts that article in there? He who has the Son has what? The life. Isn't that cool? God just kind of showed us. We got the life. Write down this thought. If you put your trust in Jesus, you already have eternal life. Isn't that something to know? Isn't that quite a thing to be able to say? And I know because many of you tell me this. I feel nervous about saying that. Sounds, that sounds arrogant. That sounds, and I hope, hope the way I'm not sharing it doesn't sound that way. Because it's confidence. It's assurance, not arrogance. Right? Because the arrogance would be that we did something or that we, you know, we're special. No, it's confidence. I'm so glad that no matter what happens in my life, God lives in my heart. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. I have eternal life. I'm going to heaven when I die. That's settled. A lot of other stuff's still on the table. But I have eternal life. Would you like to know that you have life of such an extent that it can be described as eternal? A quantity that never, li- that never ends. And a quality unlike any other. I'm going to give you that opportunity tonight to trust in Jesus. You could come in this room not having that. You could have got off work yesterday not having that. Go back to work Monday morning and have that. Isn't that incredible? Doesn't that change everything? And we're dancing all around it. Let's just go ahead and say it. The resurrection tells us that we have hope. Since all these things are true, we can have hope in the midst of a very challenging world. Isn't this the one thing we need? Almost sometimes more than food and water. If you've ever been to a point of despair or despondency in your life, you've come to understand how critical it is for a person to live in order for them to live is to have what? We need hope. And friends, the resurrection tells us we can truly have hope. There is nothing I will ever face now for the rest of my life, at the end of my life, for all of eternity, that God will not be victorious over for me. That gives me hope, amen? doesn't mean it's easy. We might still have some tough stuff to go through, but I know we're going to get through it with the Lord, amen? So good. There's another aspect of this story that we don't often think about. It didn't take place on this Easter weekend, but it's often considered part of this Easter season and it's very much a part of what God was up to with Easter what God was working toward when Jesus died on the cross when he was buried when he rose again on that Sunday morning see what happened is 40 days after that Jesus stayed with his disciples he appeared to them he taught them he prepared them but then he went back to heaven it's called the ascension and you can imagine the disciples didn't like it at first but Jesus said it's part of the plan, and it's actually better for us. So let's talk about that. The ascension changes everything. Let's read that in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, he rose again victorious over them, he appeared to them, then he spoke to them. In Acts 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. We don't often read this part. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sights. And as they were gazing, I would think so. Amen. Amen. As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee. It's just like I tell y'all sometimes. Disperse. Go. Go do other things, right? God's works. Now it's time to what? Get about it. Why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taking up, taken up from you into heaven will come to you in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. Can you imagine after all this, they get the Lord back, they're with him for 40 days, and then he leaves? What on earth? What is going on? And he tells them, I've got to go. What's it like to have someone... Or something restored back to you and then have it taken away? Well, listen to this thought. If you have something in your life that's been taken away from you and you have it restored back to you, it is going to be devastating unless you're trusting in the Lord. Because you're not trusting in that person. You're not trusting in that thing. In this case, you're not trusting in that requirement, that situation. They weren't trusting in having to have Jesus physically present with them. They were trusting in God. They weren't trusting in circumstances. They were trusting in God. And God had a plan. And as I said, he actually said it was going to be better for them for him to go. John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. Jesus said this. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. By the way, why were they so surprised when he went back to heaven? Didn't he tell them he was going back to heaven? But we don't always listen, right? But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper that we find out in this passage is the Holy Spirit. The helper will come to you. But if I go, I will, will not come to you if I don't go away. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So how are we to understand that? When Jesus was here on this earth in a human body, in that sense, he was limiting himself. The Bible says he self-limited, okay? No one was limiting him. But he self-limited for a while because it was necessary in the plan for God to come as a man to die for our sins and to be victorious over them. But his plan all along was to go back to the Father and then to send his presence into this world by his Spirit who lives in us. And that way, He could do, in a sense, more work through us as His servants. The ascension back to heaven changes everything. It tells us that God has put His Spirit in our hearts. If you're a child of God, you never go anywhere without God. And actually, not even with God. God is in you. The Bible says He is in you your life. He is in you. He is with you. He is in front of you. He is behind you. You are never without God. Actually, Romans 8, verse 11 says, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now, I got a lot of problems, and I'm still not exactly sure how they're going to work out, but I know I've got a lot of power to access. The same power that rose Christ, the same power that that created the heavens and the earth, resides in your body if you have given your life to Jesus Christ. The ascension tells us that God will never leave us. Wherever you go, whatever you do, when Jesus, you, people say, I wish I was alive when Jesus was on this earth. Well, that would have been cool. But in a sense, when Jesus was on this earth, you couldn't always be with him. But now wherever you go, whatever you do, God is always with you. I'm so thankful that we can gather together and worship together as a church. But aren't you glad you don't have to come to this building to meet God? We do come to this building and meet God, but we don't have to only come here. Mm -hmm. In fact, this building could just as well be a warehouse. The only reason this becomes a place of worship is because little temples get in their cars and drive over and gather together. (laughs) Little temples of God get together and worship God. That's what makes this. If there's anything holy about this ground, it is that God is here with us in our midst together. The ascension tells us, listen, friends, Christians, there is purpose for your life. You heard it when we were reading. Jesus left, so he... (laughs) Doesn't it make it maybe more clear than you've ever seen it before? If Jesus was here, he'd be doing stuff. That's a very theological way of saying it, right? (laughs) If Jesus was here, he'd be doing stuff. Well, he is here. He's all over this room. And he should be doing stuff, right? Do you know what your God-given purpose is in this world? Do you know what God put His Spirit in you to do? You say, How, Pastor Robbie? How would I know? Well, we'll have to talk about that more another time, but let me just give you a couple of thoughts. How can I know God's will for my life? First of all, all, by walking closely with God every day. Get up every day, spend time with Him, be in close fellowship with Him. Secondly, be in His Word. Are you in His Word? If you say, I don't know God's will for my life, are you walking closely with him daily? Are you staying in his word? And then finally, are you involved in his work? How do we find out what God wants us to do? By by being involved in his work. Okay, so how do we get to know God's will? I walk with God daily. I stay in his word. I'm involved in his work. I promise you God will lead you. I don't promise you God promises in fact, I love to think about this thought. If you will start right there, God will show you. Listen, it's easier to steer a moving ship, isn't it? It's easier to steer. God can give you that direction. If you will begin moving towards the things that he said he's going to work through. When I was growing up, my cousin, we, we used to ride dirt bikes. And, I, I, you know, I just like motorcycles. But my cousin had a three-wheeler. Basically, a suicide machine. But anyway... I didn't like that. thing. it was dangerous. But if you've ever seen one of those, if you've ever ridden one, I've been, I've been sort of uh, kind of going back to my, my kid days looking for, I actually found my motorcycle from 1982, but it was just too expensive. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was way too expensive. But I've been just sort of looking around, you know, just looking at the old stuff, and I, f- I found these, that's what my cousin had. He had a three-wheeler like that. And the only way he could drive that thing was by driving it. It wouldn't steer until you press the gas. You had to get going. Many of you ride snowmobiles. They work that way, don't they? you got to commit to it. you got to press the gas before it's able to be steered. If you want to go the right direction, you've got to commit to moving. Now, I'm not talking about recklessly jumping off cliffs blindly. But there's a difference in recklessly jumping off cliffs and walking by faith. Remember what we said? I'm walking with God daily. I'm staying in His Word. I'm involved in His work with His people. So I've got a lot of good things happening around me. That's one of the ways. That's the beginning of finding your God-given purpose. Some of us, listen to me, friends. This Easter could change it for you. Some of us have accepted Christ as our personal Savior. And if we press, if we say, are you sure about that? you would say, Pastor Robbie, I know I've given my life to Jesus Christ. But you have not gone much farther than that. Some of us have given our lives to Christ. And we've taken some steps, but listen to me, friends. This is a lot of the church today. We found a groove that we kind of like. God speaks to us. God works in our lives. God uses us. Some good things happen, but you know good and well that you brought it way down from where God wants you to be. You know God has more for you. You've been negotiating. Can I get like a like a C minus Christian walk? You know, like I gave my life to you, I sorted some things, but you know, we're not like A plus people, right? Well, that's not how it works. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll want to follow me. And God's calling some of us to step into that. Friend, Jesus did not die on the cross for your sins in order for you to live a comfortable Christian life. And, and, and you know what? I don't mean that to sound too harsh, but I believe when we stand in front of that cross right now, thank the Lord, we see the end result. He's not on there anymore, right? But as we have looked at that cross today, this Easter weekend, we can't look at that and negotiate for a lesser plan. He gave his all for me. Thank God I can never earn his love and I'm not, I'm not being asked to. But I want to give him my all. Amen? He died so that you can have a relationship with him. But then, so that he would work through you so that others could find that same relationship and grow in it as well. It leads us to the next thing. The ascension means that we can do great things for God. Jesus said, if he left us after the resurrection, for a while at least, that in some sense, with his help, we will actually do greater things than he could do as one human being walking on this earth. John 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these, because I go to the Father. And he actually says in that passage in John 14, that one of the reasons that he ascended is because he's going to prepare a place for us to be with him forever. We call it heaven. And Jesus said that he's going to get it prepared while he's away, while we're while he's working through us on this earth, he's working to prepare an eternal home for us. John 14, 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. He also tells us in that verse something that is foretold 1,500 times in the Bible. He's coming back again one day. Amen. For good. We talk about it often here, as the return of Christ. Jesus is coming back. And remember what the angel said in Acts 1? Just like you saw him leave, visibly, bodily, really. People try to spiritualize or sort of gloss it. No, Jesus is coming back. He went up in the clouds. He's coming back through the clouds. He's he's really coming back. And then finally, his Ascension tells us this, we have a mission to accomplish. It's really a part of Everything that we do here at New Hope. Our weekend message, our Bible studies, every ministry. And there's no better day to make it clear than Easter weekend. Our mission, two things. God has left us here to share the good news of salvation. If it is true, if all of this is true, if we are sinners, well, start with the positive. If God loves us and had a purpose for us, But our sin has kept us from that. And there's nothing we can do about that. And we spin ourselves in the ground trying. But God came to rescue us from that. And He won. And He'll give it to us. Don't we need to tell everybody that? Doesn't everybody need to know that? Not everyone will respond to that. But I'll be honest with you, we're finding out many people would respond to that. Last weekend, at least three, maybe four or five people gave their life to Jesus Christ last weekend. People are hungry. And many are open to God. We've got to share that good news. Is that you today? Why couldn't today be your day? And then God has left us here to help others find and fulfill God's purpose for their life. We want to lead people to Christ. And the Bible calls it disciple them. We want to grow them up in Christ. Be family for them, be support, be encouraging, rejoice when they're rejoicing, weep when they're weeping, walk together, learn together, grow together, serve together, and be what God has called each of us to be. There are many parts to this, but that is the main thing that God's left us here to do. Share this wonderful message and help others fulfill their part in that plan. Isn't it true? What a difference a day can make. Amen? Because Jesus died 2,000 years ago, you can have your sins forgiven forever. You will never again have to worry about the judgment of God coming on your life for your sins. What an awesome promise. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have life. We have power. We have victory. We have hope. Because Jesus ascended, we have purpose. We have a calling. Are you asking God, what is my calling in life? That doesn't mean you have to be a pastor or missionary. Every mechanic should be called. That should be what you're supposed to do in this world. To help people, to support your family. Every doctor should be called. This is what I'm supposed to do in this world. To help people, to support my family, to be a part of God's work. Pastors do that. Missionaries do that. But all of us have a place. Because Jesus went back, that means tag, you and I, we're it. Amen? Amen. So the question is, what difference have those days made for you? Let's bow together as we consider that before we close. We said they make all the difference. But they don't unless they make a difference for real people. What difference does it make for you, Christians? Do you have joy? Do you have peace? Do you have a grateful heart because you've been made right with God? Christian, do you have confidence? Do you have life? Is your life full because God has given you resurrection life? Do you sense a purpose? Do you sense a calling? You know, often hear people describe it like this. It's amazing how many people have told me, I feel like I should write a book one day. Lots of people say, they express, I feel like I'm supposed to write a book. You know what I think that is? I think that's our best human way of saying, I was put here to say and do something. And then let's make it even closer I was put here to say and do something for the great God and King of the universe. So now then, write your book. Write your book. Live it. If you don't know what it is, ask God today. I'm going to pray for you right now. Is there any Christian? Are there any Christians in this room who would say right now, Pastor Robert, pray for me? I need God to speak to me about my purpose, about joy, about assurance. Would you lift up your hand? Nobody else looking, just me. Lift up your hand. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. God bless you. Amen. Amen. God bless you, believers. Amen. God, thank you for these precious servants of yours who love you and want to follow you. Lord, I don't know exactly what you're saying to their heart today, but I pray that what we've learned in your word, what we've heard, has started something in them that will make a difference for the rest of their lives. That doesn't mean it's all exciting and fireworks. It might be something big. Or it might just be the next right decision. Bless them. Help them today. What a day to make a change with you, Lord. As we continue to bow, I wonder if there's anybody in this room that will say, Pastor Robbie, I've come to realize over the last two years or five months, two weeks, Or maybe even since I've been in this service. I need to give my life to God. I need God to come into my heart. And give me what you've talked about. Would you lift up your hand? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. We could just as easily say stand up and walk forward. Whoever God called, he called publicly. Anybody else? I want to give my life to Jesus. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you that you've spoken to some in this room, maybe even some watching online right now. What a great day. What a great day. This day, in 2007, my son gave his life to Christ on Easter Sunday. What a great day. What a great testimony. And someone here today is ready to receive that gift. Friend, you can just call out to him right now. Just say, God, I love you. I thank you for loving me first. Thank you for having a purpose for my life. I know I have not lived out that purpose. I know I've sinned against you. But tonight I give my life to you. I accept your payment on the cross for me. I receive your resurrection life. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Father, we worship you for saving someone. That's what you came for, Lord. That's what we do. Praise you for those decisions that were made tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen.